This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs.
American citizenship is something that I hold very dear, but I'll admit that being a child of God trumps that. Thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that uh, allows us to be part of his family. Let's just uh, pray again. Lord, would you settle our hearts? Would you still our hearts? Would you take us to a place today where... Um, we would be in the right place to where you can speak to us. Let your word uh, be powerful. Where I fail, let the Holy Spirit kind of jump in and maybe cover for me. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to a few phrases that some people have said to my wife and I, or at least to our staff over the last few days. This is not over the last year or two or three, just the last few days, a lady said this, my emotions are such a mess. Someone said this, and actually I think it's probably a couple of different people said this, and, and some of you can relate to this, this thing of getting old, referring to health issues, aches and pains, this thing of getting old is not fun, it stinks. A lady made this statement, I'm having anxiety attacks in the middle of the night. A man said this, I feel so overwhelmed. A pastor, mind you, a pastor texted this to me last Monday. He said, I'm barely holding on by a thread. Another lady said this, I feel I have been run ragged this past week. A man that from outward appearances seems to have it together he says i am so irritable i shouldn't be around people right now these are just a few of the comments that have been made over the last few days today we're going to discuss the the root of those comments we're in the third lesson of the series we're calling surviving survival mode and and we're trying to answer the question, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? You know, of course you can pray, but, but, but there's nothing else you can do. You can call counselors, you can call doctors, you can take medicines, you can call your pastor, you can even call the National Guard, but they can't do anything. Sometimes those situations involve a marriage. You know, he doesn't want to change, or she doesn't want to change, but neither wants a divorce, and so there they are, under the same roof, strangers no intimacy sometimes it's related to health problems that have no no medical solution sometimes it happens with our kids they they choose the wrong friends they, they choose addictions or a wrong style of life and all you can do is watch while they self-destruct and, and as christians we're we're told to pray about those things and we do but how many of us and you may feel this is even unspiritual un, un to admit it but how many of us have had those times we prayed, but it seemed that God was so far away. Or even worse yet, he's silent. Which many times leads to our having thoughts of giving up. You know, we begin to, uh, you know, just give up on everything. And what's the point in staying married? You know, what's the point in trying to live a moral life? Nobody else is. Uh, you know, there, there's no point in... in and working hard or, or working a job as the Bible encourages us to do. Because right now, and this is true, in many instances, you can get more money by doing nothing. You know, just settle into a life of, of defeat and laziness. 
Well, in week one of our series, we discovered that when it comes to God, His silence is not absence. He hears, He cares, He knows. Last week, week two, we jumped into the deep end of the pool and and said that during those painful, humiliating, debilitating, permanent situations like Paul's thorn in the flesh, that's what we were talking about, we have two options. One is keep struggling, keep pushing, keep resisting, keep being frustrated. Or secondly, after praying, if God should happen to say no, we have the option to view our thorn or our health issue, our depression, our relational struggle as a gift. Remember what the Apostle Paul was talking about? A gift from our Heavenly Father that has both a purpose and a promise. The purpose may often yet to be revealed, but the promise is that God's grace is sufficient for you. Now today for week three, we're again going to the deep end of the pool. We're not even going to get into the shallow end today. And we're going to study a secret. A secret that Paul reveals. And I know we refer to the Apostle Paul a lot, but he wrote half of the New Testament. So if our lesson comes from the New Testament, we've got a 50-50 chance that his name, his words will appear somewhere in the lesson. Now, if you were raised in churches, as many of you were, you know that Paul was not a stranger to adversity. But here's the interesting thing. Unlike us as Westerners, who are a little bit spoiled... And some of us are a lot spoiled. We suffer hardship. What do we do? We immediately begin to question God's goodness. We question his existence. But for Paul and the men and the women in the Bible, hardship, conflict did not affect their faith. They had way more hardship than you do, than I do. Because they didn't have the medical care that we do. They didn't have stimulus checks like we do. They didn't have unemployment benefits, disability like we do. So they suffered way more than we do, yet those things did not cause them to divorce their confidence from God. Well, 10 years or so into Paul's ministry, after going up and down the Mediterranean rim planting churches, Paul found himself in another one of his many pickles. He found himself in Rome under house arrest awaiting trial. And at this time, the emperor of Rome was Nero. So to be a Christian under arrest in Rome, under Nero as the emperor, rarely caused anyone to say, well, they lived happily ever after. Because it was well known that Nero liked to persecute the Christians. One of the things that he loved to do was to douse Christians in tar and use them as human torches to light his gardens by night during some of his elaborate dinner parties. He also liked to nail Christians to crosses in public places and then set them on fire and watch them burn. Nightly in the capital, Nero held spectacles in which every type of torture was applied to Christians. One of his favorite, and this is really strange, I was researching this this week to make sure that I I got it right. What he would do, he would take Christians and sew them into animal hides, animal skins, and then let vicious dogs that had been trained let them loose, and they would tear them apart limb by limb. So the Apostle Paul was in Rome, under house arrest, under Nero. It looked like, from all appearances, Rome and Nero had won, Paul and Jesus had lost. 
It looked as if the empire of Rome had won, the kingdom of God had lost. From all practical, practical purposes, it was game over. Turn out the lights on Christianity around the world because Paul was the main person that was taking the gospel outside of Israel to the Gentiles. Now he was a prisoner in Rome under Nero. His influence was over. Or was it? Let's find out. If you've read Paul's writings, you will understand that he was a very ambitious man. He, he was not a laid-back preacher that said, well, whatever's okay with me, y'all just decide. You know, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. That wasn't Paul. Paul was aggressive. He was driven. He was motivated. And it had to be incredibly frustrating to him as he was stuck in prison, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. But what really speaks to me is this, despite Paul being in prison, despite him being unable to travel and plant churches, despite the fact that all of his ministry has been put on hold, Paul wasn't content to just sit in prison and do nothing. You know, some people are okay with just sitting around doing nothing. They can just sit on the porch all day long, watch people drive by, and that's okay. Um... Paul wasn't content to just sit in prison and waste away and do nothing. And so what he said was this. You know, I can't plant churches. I can't preach on the streets. Um, I can't travel. But there's one thing I can do. It may not be a huge thing, but he said, I can write some letters. And probably he dictated the letters. Well, little did Paul know that the letters that he would write in prison would, would become some of the most widely read, widely circulated, widely translated letters in all of history, and they would eventually be included in what we consider to be the inspired Word of God. And there in prison, he wrote what we know as the prison letters or the prison epistles. He wrote the letter to Ephesus which we now know as the book of Ephesians. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. We call that the book of Philippians. He wrote to the Colossians and also to Philemon. And this is what I want you to get because I want to bring it home to each of us in just a moment. In Paul's mind, he was probably saying, you know, there's not much I can do, but I can maybe touch base with a few of the churches, encourage them through a letter. I can't do a lot, but I'll do what I can. Do you know the implications of his letters? This is huge. They ended up being a tool that would help change the world. In fact, what he wrote would be so well read that today, and, and I looked this up this week, his writings have been translated into way over 1,500 different languages. And after Johannes Gutenberg developed the printing press in 1440, that allowed them to begin printing 3,600 pages per day rather than 40 pages that they had been producing through hand copying and printing. And when Gutenberg Press was perfected, do you know the first book that was mass produced? The Bible. Which, of course, contained the prison epistles that Paul wrote while under arrest in Nero's Rome, which is absolutely incredible. Now, you, you may not be too impressed with this, but let me tell you why this is incredible. Ladies, let, 
focus, ladies. I want to talk to you a minute. Did you know that while Paul was in prison, he wrote the book of Ephesians, and in the book of Ephesians, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and be willing to give your lives for your wives. You know, that went against the culture of that day, and even cultures today where women, women are looked at as just property. So, ladies, aren't you glad Paul went to prison so he could write that advice to your husbands? You may need to remind them on occasion. But that's just the beginning because in the same book of Ephesians, Paul gives that famous piece of instruction to kids. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. I mean, parents, how many times have you quoted that verse? That was written while Paul was under arrest in Rome under Nero. Paul also talks about putting on the full armor of God, you know, the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shoes of peace, shield of faith. This scripture is foundational to living a victorious life. And, and then in the letter to the Philippians, Paul talks about the grid. Have you ever wondered, shall I watch this movie or is it, you know, it's, it's rated this way. Is, is it appropriate for me? Is it appropriate for my kids? Have you ever wondered the grid to help you sort through that? Here's what it says. Philippians 4, 8 says, Whatever's true, whatever is noble, lovely, whatever's right, whatever's pure, admirable, if anything's excellent, praiseworthy, watch those movies. That, that's what Paul helped us sort through when he was in prison. And, and, and here's the point. Paul had no idea. He, he had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to not just waste his time in prison. He had no idea how God would use those simple letters to change the world. And, and think of this. Paul didn't even have the assurance that the letters would get to the intended churches. As he sent those letters, he probably prayed, God, you know how unreliable our mail is these days. So would you please help these letters to not get lost and help them to get there in a timely fashion, which probably meant several weeks, maybe months. And one more thing before we move on. What are the odds? I mean, come on. What are the odds that letters written by a Christian in Rome under Nero while under arrest would, first of all, get to the churches a great distance away, secondly, that they would survive the first century, and then make it through the Crusades and the Dark Ages and the Inquisition and become part of the most widely read literature in history, what are the odds that they would survive and God would choose to include those letters written in prison in the book that we call the Bible? You know, things that emperors and, and, and kings wrote were copied multiple times, put in vaults to make sure that they were protected for the sake of history, but they were long lost and long gone, way before Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But here are these letters by the Apostle Paul. While a prisoner, he dictated one copy, and one copy only, and of course later on they were copied, but initially there was one copy. We're still reading his letters today. He had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to remain faithful. And really, do you know what hung in the balance? You. We hung in the balance. This church hung in the balance. And the reason he was able to write these books that would change the world, and don't, don't miss this, this is so important, the reason was because of the way he responded to adversity. And, and I want everybody to focus in. If you zoned out, come back for just a minute. You have no idea. You have no idea 
what nor who hangs in the balance of how you decide to handle adversity. You have no idea what hangs in the balance when, when you decide to remain faithful, when everyone around you says give up and you know, just do whatever. You know, just divorce. You have no idea how remaining respectful will impact others when people are saying, you know what, just tell your boss off and tell them to take this job and do whatever. You have no idea how your faithfulness will impact others when you say, you know, uh, you know when they say, give up on church, they're, they're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. You know, just give up on your kids. They're, they're train wrecks. Uh, there's no point in being ethical. Just give up. There's no point in being moral, telling the truth, being submissive, respecting authority. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And listen here, the challenge is you will never know unless you're willing to remain faithful in the midst of adversity. It's generally within the context of adversity that God does his most amazing work in us, through us. And the worst thing you could do is hit the abandon ship button, the eject button, because if you do that, you will never find out how God can use your adversity, your struggles, to help someone else. So, let's look at Paul's prison letter to the church at Philippi. Paul, knowing that he probably won't survive because of who the emperor was, and he didn't, but he writes to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last, and, and, and I'll explain this in a moment. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me, Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, after Paul was imprisoned, news began to spread that, you know, Paul was in prison. And, but understand that news did not spread fast like it does today. T today, because of live feeds, news hits the other side of the world immediately. To illustrate this, since I just work one day a week on Sundays, um, and have so much spare time on my hands, I occasionally go to a webcam in another, in a faraway place in the world and, and just watch worthless stuff. I do that all day long, not, not really, but um, for example, there are webcams that allow you to watch people coming and going at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, or you know, we call it the Wailing Wall. I've watched that, it's very, very fascinating. People go, they'll go up to the wall there, sometimes they'll take their little prayers that they've written, they'll fold them up and stick them in the cracks and they'll spend some time, sometimes with a motion like this, and then they'll walk away. You, you, you can watch that on a, on a webcam. Um, there, there's, uh, there's another webcam, and I haven't watched this one, but it's one of the top 10 webcams. Um, it's called the webcam Watching Grass Grow. Seriously, it's, it's a webcam in, in, in Colorado. I don't know if, if it's your, at your house or not, but. They've determined that here at this place, the conditions are such that grass grows at 1 25th of an inch per hour. And so you can watch grass grow on this webcam. It's exciting. But there's another one that's called a centennial bulb. And, and this is a hand-blown bulb that was made in 1901. It was created as a 60-watt bulb. But over the last 100-plus years, it's diminished down to 4 watts. But you can watch this, and you might be one of the lucky ones to see it totally go out. But another one of the webcams that I've, I've enjoyed watching is, is one in Alaska, and 
I think, uh, Craig, you would enjoy this one. This is a camera focused on one of the rivers in Alaska, and you can watch in real time grizzly bears catch salmon. And, and, and I've watched that. It's just, just fascinating. And, and, and I know I'm totally, totally weird and warped, but I would rather watch these webcams than to read some of your uh, Facebook posts. Uh, sorry, uh, that, that tell me you ate Fruit Loops for breakfast or, or whatever you did. Uh, but, but you know, we're connected across the world. But when Paul was in prison in Rome, news traveled slowly. However, finally the Christians in Philippi got news that their spiritual hero, the founder of their church, was under arrest in Rome. So they said, we need to encourage our brother and let's send him a care package. So they got a care package together, sent it to him. A long time, it, you know, it took a long time for the care package to get to Rome. Um, as it was delivered to Paul, he opened it and realized it was his, from his good friends in Philippi. And he was like, that makes me feel so good. You know, they didn't forget about me after all. But, but anyway, after opening the care package, Paul writes them back and he, and he uses his response as, as a launching point to talk about a secret. He said this, I'm so happy you remembered me and showed me concern. But he said in verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. In other words, thank you for sending me the care package. You know, it gets lonely here. And sometimes I wonder, has everybody really forgotten? Does anybody care? Thanks for not forgetting me, but, but don't get me wrong. I'm not glad you sent me this care package because I was afraid or I'm not glad because of being overwhelmed with anxiety. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. And, and here it is. For I have learned. Now catch this. Whatever secret he's about to let us in on, he's telling us that this is a learned behavior. Now understand, there are some things that we get immediately because there's a work of grace. You know, forgiveness of sins. This, this is just instantaneous where, where God comes in, he forgives us, and we're adopted, we're made his child instantaneous, a work of grace. But there are some things in Christian life that are learned behaviors. It doesn't come naturally to us. It won't come naturally to you. It won't come naturally to me. So Paul said, I have learned to be content. And Paul at this point in his life was not sure that he would ever be released from prison, but he was saying, I'm not stressing, I'm not churning on the inside, I don't have anxiety attacks in the middle of the night, but it's been something that I've had to learn, I've had to learn to be content, and, and he goes on and gives an amazing statement, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, face it, most of us are stressed, aren't you, aren't we? We're, we're struggling, we're, we're uneasy, we're restless, we're worried full of anxiety. Some of us struggle to sleep at night. But Paul is basically telling us that there's something called contentment that works regardless of the circumstances. And, and again, remember, Paul is not one of those people who's laid back and just kind of like, hey, whatever, man, I'm good. As we say in Spanish, que será, será. You know, what will be, will be. He was far from that. But Paul was saying, hey, in spite of my personality, to be driven and aggressive and on the move, in spite of the fact that I find myself in prison under Nero, knowing that I, more than likely I will not survive this, he said, it's amazing, I have found contentment. Well, he goes on and says in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and, and I know what it is to, be, to, to have plenty. He was saying, you know, I, I've had those times when I made good money. 
had way more than I needed, but I didn't get addicted to that lifestyle. I didn't get addicted to, to things, materialism. So therefore, when my circumstances changed, and they do a lot of times, to where money was tight, food was scarce, I was still okay. And he goes on and talks about the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, can I share something really cool with you? I just learned this week. I'm sure you knew this, but in, in the Greek text, and um, you know, we refer back to the Greek text a lot here because the Old Testament was written uh, in, in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Greek. And so that's the original language, and we can just learn a lot by, by going back to the Greek text. But in the Greek text here, the Apostle Paul uses a word that doesn't show up anywhere else in the New Testament. I just learned this. In fact, he grabs a word that was outside of church circles, which got their attention. Uh, it, it's kind of like this. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you're having a conversation with, with somebody at work, and all of a sudden you pull out a big word, maybe a five-syllable word. Are there, are there any five-syllable words? I don't know. But uh, they, they know that's not the way you talk. Because if you're like me, you're basically at best a two-syllable word person. And so if you whip out a, a, a big word, people will probably stop and say, whoa, where'd that come from? Uh, because you, you normally just use words like, that's cool, wow, yeah, man. So, so when you hear a big word that a non-big word person says, it's like, Whoa, where'd you learn that? Well, in the same way, the Apostle Paul, every once in a while in his writings, would, would grab a word that you don't find anywhere else in the New Testament to get people's attention. And the word he grabs from their culture is a Greek word to describe someone being initiated into some kind of secret society. You know, there are organizations where you're initiated into them and they've got a secret handshake and, you know, something else that's secret, kind of like many of the guys when we were growing up. The little rascals, they were our role models and they had the girl hater club or whatever they call their club. And, and uh, you know, we had kind of our secret signs and we had this fort and all of that and a lock on it. And um, when Paul used this word, one time only, he was saying this. I have been initiated into the secret club or the secret society of contentment. Well, what happens when we hear that something is a secret? Well, we want to know the secret. If, if we see two people whispering, we are so curious what they're saying. And it bugs the daylights out of us until we discover that secret. So, so Paul said, I, I've discovered a secret. Well, Paul, what is that secret? And it's like, okay, I guess I'll let you in on the secret. The secret is this. I can be content in any and every circumstance. And, and so the people were like, oh, wait, wait a minute, Paul. Are, are, are you sure you can be content? I mean, you, you've been through a lot. You've been arrested multiple times, not to, not to mention Paul. You, you had a knack for getting the tar beat out of you. How, how could you be content in those times? And, 
And Paul, that was on a good day because on a bad day, you had a poisonous snake wrap itself around you and bite you. How could you be content with that? Uh, not, not to mention the multiple shipwrecks and, and times you were thrown out of cities and, and here you are in Rome alone. You've lost your friends. What's the secret of how you can be content with all of that? Well, in the next verse, Paul tells us the secret. And, and this verse is one of the most quoted but misinterpreted scriptures in the entire New Testament. You know, we tend to do that. We, we grab a scripture out of context and we use it however we want. Uh, you know, one of the ones that we misuse a lot is Jeremiah 29, 11, around graduation season. You know, I had the plans for you to promise to prosper you and all, all that's a great scripture. But, but we don't even know the context. We use it. You know, the, the context is that the people of Israel had sinned. They had been led away into captivity. And in Babylon, God was telling these people who were horribly deep into sin. And now they were captives. He said, that's not what I had in mind for you. You know, I, I had in mind plans to prosper you. And, and uh, you know, I, I had great plans for you. But you deserve this punishment. But that wasn't my first plan for you. And uh, again, most people don't look at the context of scriptures, and, and so they misapply them. And, and this verse in Philippians is also misapplied, and Paul says in, in verse 13, I can do everything, and meaning I can do everything I've gone through. You know, being run out of town, being stoned, that's not recreationally, uh, left for dead, shipwrecked, beaten, frozen half to death, burning up in the Middle Eastern heat, my friends abandoning me, nobody wanting to marry me. I mean, who wants to be the wife of a man like me that's always in a jam? I'm quite sure I won't make it out of Rome alive, but, but I can do this. I can maintain my commitment. I can maintain my morals, my ethics. And I'm not even tempted to say Nero is Lord because that's what they wanted people to say. When they said Nero is Lord, they would release them from prison. And Paul was saying, I'm not even tempted to say Nero is Lord. He says, I can do everything through him, through, through Christ, who gives me strength. So here's the secret. I can do this through Christ. There's a secret place. Most of us haven't discovered this secret place, this mysterious place, where the life of Jesus, the strength of Jesus, the endurance of Jesus is available to us, which allows us to not just survive, but it allows us to thrive. Now, just to be clear, let me tell you what Paul was not talking about. He was not talking about, you know, reach for the stars. You can do anything and everything, you know, just set your mind to it. Just believe in yourself and don't give up and work hard and all that stuff we hear all the time. You can do anything. That was not what Paul was saying. Paul was not talking about how strong he was, how disciplined he was. This was not Rocky with some loud music, getting him hyped to go out and do something big. Don't rip this verse out of context because if you do, you're going to miss the entire secret the secret of contentment. You will miss being initiated into a life of being fine on the inside even though the world around you is not fine. So let me summarize it for you. Paul was saying, I can't. I can't. I can't. But he can. You know, I, 
I, I can't. I, I may appear to be strong and have it all together and make a good living and have a nice car and nice house and nice family, but underneath, I, I've got so many insecurities. I, I'm so fearful. I've got anxieties, and, and I can't fake it till I make it. I'm not going to drum up some kind of internal energy and have some loud music to get me pumped. And I'm just going to admit right up front, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I can't. But Jesus can. And the reason I know Jesus can is because he dragged his own cross to that hill and he died for my sin. And what I'm facing is nothing compared to that. So the Apostle Paul was saying this for some of you. If you're single and you're tired of being single, you can't handle the loneliness, you're probably right, you can't. But he can through you. Maybe things aren't good at home and every day you drive home, you don't know who you're driving home to. There are about three versions of him or three versions of her and you just kind of wait to see which version appears today and you think, God, I can't keep doing this. And, and your heavenly father says, you're right, you can. But it's okay because I can through you. That, that's the secret, the mystery of Christ in you. Maybe your health isn't good and the doctors kind of shrug and say, hey, you know what, we can monitor it, we can help with some pain management, but we can't cure it. And you think, I can't go on, I can't go on. And you're right. But he can through you. For some of you, this, I believe your anxiety is more than you can bear. Your insides are churning and you think, I can't go on. And you can't. But the Apostle Paul would say, through Christ, you can. To which you might say, Paul, I don't understand. How can you be content when things are such a mess in my life? You don't know my family. You don't know my health. And you don't know my anxieties. And, and Paul would say, no, I don't fully understand it myself because it's a mystery. It's a secret, but, but it's real because your Savior lives inside of you. So here's, here's your homework assignment. We have a lot of homework here at this church. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, here's your homework. Before your feet hit the floor, your homework is to say the following. I can't, but Jesus, you can. You know, I can't face my coworker. He is such a jerk, and, but Jesus, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And again, that doesn't mean that you can do everything you set your mind to. It just means that when you're going through that hard time, you do it through Christ. So, so your homework tomorrow morning is to say, I can't, but Jesus, you can. And then here's your homework tomorrow night. When you go to bed, because remember we said that contentment is a learned behavior, say, God, please help me to learn the secret of contentment. And once you learn the secret, everybody will want to be your friend. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around a grouch. Everybody wants to be around somebody that's content and, and peaceful. And you know what? That will set you up to be a difference maker in those lives of people who need Jesus. So tomorrow morning, I can't. 
but Jesus, you can. Tomorrow night and in the days and nights to come, God, help me to learn contentment. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul. Father, I, I, I ask that you would just help us. Oh, we're, we're, we're so spoiled. We want, uh, as has been said, a life of honey and no bees. We, we, we want the sweetness, but we don't want anything that's sour. God, uh, I, I just pray that you would help us to come to that point of just looking to you and knowing that it's, it's tough out there, knowing that the disease may be incurable, the marriage may be rotten, the kids may be messed up, the health issue is incurable. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to just not look to ourselves, but Lord, that we would look to you and know it's a secret, but it comes through Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray that you would help those that are full of anxiety, those that are full of so much stress. Lord, we all are, and I pray that this week we would begin to see just maybe our blood pressure going down and that we would begin to just sense that there's peace coming over us. And Lord, I wish there were a work of grace that would just take care of it instantaneously. And Lord, there are things that are taken care of by a work of grace, but it appears that this is a learned behavior. It takes time, but God, we're going to pray that this week, that we would learn contentment. So, Father, uh, as we go from here, I just pray that the peace of God would rest upon us, that the contentment, the, the secret contentment would be part of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.